you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 16. Um, this is our text for this morning. I'm going to start in verse 23. Acts 16, 23. Now, a little context. Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey, and they heal uh, and deliver a, a woman who had a demon. And the city is in an uproar because they did this, and they, um, they put them in prison. That's kind of where we pick up the story here. Verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All, uh, at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I, um, I pray that you would speak to us now, that as a lot of us feel kind of trapped, um, even in our own homes, I pray that you would give us songs in the night that you would allow us to no matter what we're going through right now. And it's probably not nearly as bad as what these disciples were going to. Yet, God, you'd give us songs to sing, praises to our God most high. And you would do that through th this text, through um, even my words right now, would you anoint me um, to communicate and to teach. We pray together in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. My, my daughter, Juniper, who you've been meeting during our, our call to worship, um, is a very, very kind and mellow um, little girl. She loves to hold hands and she loves to hug and crawl all over me. Um, she loves to be held. But one thing she doesn't do easily, one thing she actually maybe doesn't even like to do, and that is kiss. She does not like to give kisses. I mean, she kisses her stuffies. She kisses her dog, Prince. She'll even kiss a FaceTime video but she will not kiss her mom and dad in real life. And I know one day I'll be really happy that she's stingy with all of her kisses, but not right now. But every once in a while, like literally maybe once a week, we'll ask for kisses like we do every single night before we put her to bed. And about once a week, somehow her guard is down or she forgets that we're real people. I don't know what happens, but she'll turn to us and she'll open her mouth wide. And when she does, Ashley and I go in for all the kisses that she will allow, all of them. Like we go in, like the banks are open and they're giving away free money. We just go in and receive all the kisses that she will give us. And they are some of the best kisses that I've ever experienced in my life. And only a few times she's done this unsolicited where I'll be holding her and then out of the blue, she'll look right at me and then she'll turn towards me and she'll open her mouth for a kiss. And it's the best thing in the world. Now, that posture of turning and kissing is what the Bible calls worship. 
Literally, the word worship is to turn and kiss. And I never really understood the beauty of that word and the meaning of that word until I became a dad. The intimacy and love expressed in the moment of her face turned towards mine and her lips turned towards me. Worship. But I think far too often, we are like Junie. We're stingy with our worship. Selective when and how we sing and how we turn towards God. I mean, granted, it's hard to worship God when things are the way they are, like they are right now, when things are not the way that they're supposed to be. It's hard to worship in reckless abandon when we're alone at home, away from others whose voices often carry us into praise. And I'm like this too. I like worshiping when the atmosphere is just right, where it's not too hot in the room or it's not too cold in the room, when there's just enough people in the sanctuary where it sounds awesome, when the song being sung is a good one and it's being sung just the way I like it and it's being sung by whom I want to sing it. I have conditions. But if I were honest, the church and the way it feels right now is failing my conditions. This is not the way I want to sing. This is not the way I want it to be. But I think I and all of us, what we can learn from our text today is why worship, singing, praying, even when our homes start to feel like an inner cell of a prison and our circumstances have us handcuffed, even then, how worship can lift us up. There's a few things I want us to notice and learn from this text this morning. First, I want you to notice the loneliness and the darkness that's found in this text. Now, this is why I chose this text this morning. The disciples are locked in an inner cell. We are told this, uh, why they're put in their inner cell. They had just performed an exorcism on a woman and it threw the city in an uproar, like I, I told you at the beginning. They were arrested and then beaten and then put into prison. That's where we find them when our story picks up. The text says, and it was midnight. It makes it sound like, surely there's no escape at midnight. There's no getting out of this. They will rot in this prison. This is their end. Now, not to be overly dramatic, but for some people, this is kind of what life feels like right now. I mean, we're like almost you know, three, four weeks into shelter in place when we've been stuck at home. Home, for some people, is no longer their sanctuary or it never was their sanctuary. Your home is not a place you want to spend most of your life or most of your time right now with your roommates or in your marriage or even with yourself. All those things which at one time brought you all sorts of life can make you feel bleak right now. Add to that a layer of uncertainty. The extended period of time we're supposed to be in here that we got this last week, like our sentence got lengthened. It can feel this way. It can feel like we're trapped in this inner prison. See, when the Bible notes the time, it does it for two reasons. Well, first, it does it to note the time. It was midnight. But it does it for a second reason. It, whenever the Bible notes the time, it notes the feeling of that time in relation to the circumstance. So when the text says it was about midnight, it not only means that it was around 12 a.m., but it's saying that it was dark, that it was bleak, that it was so far from daylight. 
These disciples were uncomfortable. They were bleeding. Just days earlier, they were at the home of Lydia, a wealthy new convert. They were in her home. She was a, a dealer of purple cloth. So I would imagine they were laying, uh, they stayed in guest rooms with all this beautiful silk and fabrics and they were just enjoying life, eating grapes or whatever you do when you're in someone's wealthy, some, some wealthy person's house. That's what they were doing just hours before this. And the next night now they're in the inner cell of this prison. What would you be doing? What would you be thinking if you were here? Beaten, broken, and stuck. If I were them, I would have been sulking. That's what I would have been doing. Here's the thing. I have been sulking, right? I have been sulking over these last few weeks. I'd be blaming. There's been a lot of blaming going on, especially in and around our social media, our news. There's a lot of blaming going on right now. And the thing I'd be doing is I'd be planning. How do I get out of here? What's next? But notice that these disciples trapped in this inner cell, they did none of that. What they did is they sang. Now this is where I wish we were all together at church on Sunday. Because right here I would say, and the text says, at about midnight they sang. And you know what would happen is the front row would go, mmm, yes. Like that's what would happen right now in the church. Like people would just be, especially the front row would be like, yes, I know where this is going. I know what's about to happen. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, this feels a little absurd. They were bloody, beaten, broken. And when it was dark and so far from daybreak, they weren't complaining. They weren't sulking. They weren't planning to fight the injustice. They weren't plotting their revenge. They were worshiping. And they aren't singing to themselves. They were singing to God. Sometimes you have to sing to yourself. Sometimes you have to sing, it is well with my soul. Sometimes you have to sing, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Sometimes worship takes on the form of singing to yourself to remind yourself who God is. But they weren't doing that. They were singing, how great thou art. They were singing Waymaker. They were singing songs to God. They were singing hymns to God. I was on the phone with uh, one of my friends last Sunday, uh, right after church. Um, his name is Ralph. And um, I was doing a, a, a check-in. We were just kind of checking in and praying for each other. Um, he's one of the people that's in the front row that you can hear in almost every podcast. And I really, really miss him. And so we were checking in and I was asking him, you know, how are you getting through this time? How are you doing right now? I mean, he recently lost his dad. Um, his startup is vulnerable to the financial climate that's going on right now. And he just got through a, um, a season and a bout of depression. I go, how are you making it through? How are you doing right now? And um, he said to me, I have been remembering when I grew up in the Baptist church, when I, when I, this Baptist church I went to as a kid, I, re I remember this song that the choir would sing when they came into church to lead worship. They would all come in from the back in a single file line, all moving as they sang, we've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. He's never failed me yet. Oh, 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 we can't turn around. We have come this far by faith. 
We have come this far by faith. And they would sing that. And he said as, as they would sing it, they would step to the word. So the song would be a combination of a, a chant, a dance, and a song. And so their body was saying and singing the same song as their souls were. And the choir would come in single file line, all singing, we have come this far by faith. And through this song, they would remind the church to not give up. No matter how low life has you, no matter how hard it is, don't give up. We have come this far by faith. And he said to me, I can't get this song out of my head. And it's been what I've been holding onto every single day. Don't give up. We have come this far by faith. So of course, I look up YouTube of this song being sung in churches and I wish I grew up in this church. See, what singing does is it helps us focus on the glorious eternal realities that get clouded by gloomy temporary realities. Usually in times of distress, our minds can actually hold on to eternal realities as objects of faith, but that doesn't necessarily influence our feelings. We can know that God has never failed us and that God will never fail us in our minds, but our hearts still doubt it. Like in our hearts, we our hearts remained like engulfed by the problems, swallowed up by our problems. But songs help truth travel down to the heart. The objective truths we sing in biblical songs challenge our subjective feelings. And so Paul and Silas do what every one of us must do when we're waiting for God to act. We, are, we must pray and sing hymns to God. We have to sing. We have to praise God. This, doesn't, this wasn't just an act of faith. This was actually an act of rebellion. This was an act of resistance. See, they, Paul and Silas were flogged and stripped naked. They were not just put in prison, but they were put in the inner cell in prison. And not just the inner cell, but their feet were in stocks. See, what they were trying to do is they were trying to break their spirits. They were trying to destroy their hope of any escape ever. You're not going anywhere. We're going to break your spirit. And singing hymns to God was an act of resistance. It was an act of rebellion that said, no matter what you do to me, no matter how dark it gets in here, I will not bow. I will not break. I will yet hope in God. And not to be too overly spiritual right now, but I imagine that that Satan, the enemy of all that is good, is working overtime and trying to exploit the situation that we are all in in every single way possible. I'd imagine marriages that were hard before may feel extra hard right now. Parenting, roommates, your own loneliness, your own depression, all your biggest fears coming true now, whatever it is, maybe it just feels a little extra. It all feels extra right now. Luke 4, 13 says that um, after Satan um, had tempted Jesus, that he left Jesus for a more opportune time or until an opportune time, meaning Satan knows just when to wait and just when to start like speaking to your mind and your heart and start trying to really, 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 really wreck your life. And this may be that time where Satan tries to deal the death blow to your faith to your marriage, to your spirit, to your relationships. Therefore, you must sing. You must sing, church. 
And look what happens when Paul and Silas um, in the stocks, they start singing. Verse 25, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And the other prisoners were listening to them. See, I think people are watching right now. I think people are watching as the church can't meet together physically. I think people are curious on how we react and act. This last week, the University of Copenhagen released a study on the rise of religion during crisis. They, they say that over the last three months since COVID happened, Google searches for prayer have skyrocketed. They admit that global data on people actually praying does not exist, but the data on people searching for prayer online does exist. Our searches on the internet reflect our personal interests, they say. So they say the rise of prayer in, intensely supersedes what the world has seen in years. See, people are looking for answers right now. People are looking for relief. People are trying to listen to those who can sing right now, who have hope that is higher than the homes that we're sheltered in and the virus that we're all afraid of. The word here for listening is a verb that means to listen with pleasure. These prisoners were listening to hymns with pleasure. See, I don't think skepticism and fatalism are the songs people wanna hear right now. I think the church singing at midnight, songs to God will be received with pleasure from a watching and searching world. Because we're all in solitary confinement together and it's time for the church to sing. But look what happens. Look what else happens. Not only do the prisoners listen to them, in verse 26 it says that God moved and shook the foundations of that prison and the doors flew open and everyone's chains came off. Wait, you mean Paul and Silas's chains came off? No, everyone's chains came off. What if God wanted to use this moment that we're all living through to bring about a renewal? Like a real, honest, citywide, statewide, national, global renewal. Freeing people all around us from what has bound them, from what has kept them from eternal life. And I use that term like Jesus used that term, as in life abundant right now with God and not enslaved to the false gods and the idols that we typically dabble in. I believe God wants to show his power right now. His power to save, his power to set free, his power to heal, his power to take, the, take two people who are enemies and make them friends, like we see what happens with the jailer and Paul and Silas. For this to happen, I think two things are required of us right now. According to this text, two things are required of us. Two things, the first is to stay put, and the second is to start singing. Look at verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. See, as soon as God shook the jail and all the prison doors flew open and all everyone's chains came off, this is like the jailer sees that the, his prison has completely, everyone's free and they can run, they can go. And he thought for sure the prison is set loose and it's all my fault. And so he decides to take his own life. He grabs his sword, he's about to kill himself. And Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. No one has left. See, rather than escaping, Paul and Silas remained right where they were and somehow convinced everyone else to do the same thing. Don't leave. Which means God wasn't after their physical deliverance, 
but everyone's spiritual deliverance. See, right now, it's um, the answer is not being set free from our homes. That's not the answer. It's not being set free from our apartments or our flats. Salvation is not found in the shelter-in-place order lifting. That's not where salvation is found. God is after a different kind of deliverance. By the church staying put, keeping social distance, and teaching others to sing songs to God at midnight, I think God might bring about a deliverance and a move of his power like we've not experienced in our lifetimes. This led the jailer to ask this question, what must I do to be saved? This is what I think is the privilege of the church right now, that our countenance, that our way that we process our grief, that the way that we, that we sing songs at midnight, I think we, we, can, we can show up and allow hundreds of thousands of people to ask this question. What must I do to be saved? And they replied, of course, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And there it is. The power of God revealed in the gospel truth. To believe in the Lord Jesus to place your trust and life in his rule and his lordship. Now we know that this conversion was genuine and and was was a real deal because right after this, he brings Paul and Silas, who were just prisoners hours before, to his home and he starts bandaging their wounds, wounds that he had caused just hours before and beating them. Now, we have to stay put. That's the first thing we learn. But the second thing, And lastly, we have to start singing. Now, I'm going to be really honest here. Singing at home alone is strange. When we sing at home alone, it's strange. It's weird to be at home standing with your hands in the air praising God, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your hallway. I don't know where you're at. Or to kneel in front of a screen pouring out your love to God. That is strange, right? Well, Worship like this is only strange if you forget the Garden of Gethsemane and the prison of Paul and Silas. See, worshiping alone, where it's dark, where it feels dark and you feel shut in, you feel alone, worship like that is actually worship in its original format. Before amplification, before, of t- before tons of people gathered in a room singing praises to God, Christianity started its tradition of hymns and songs with Jesus in the garden praying alone and rejected and the disciples praying and singing alone, alone in prison. This is where our tradition starts. That's how worship in the Christian tradition began, alone, in a dark place, alone with God. So worship in a big church is great, and I can't wait to do it again. And it speaks of what, we'll, what it will be like in heaven. But alone in our rooms, isolated and feeling like it's midnight, is the original context of worship. So church, let's sing. Let's sing alone with your family, with your roommates. Sing on your knees or your hands in the air. Let's sing to God let's, and let's wait for God to move in power. I think the church, we have songs. I think we could push past um, this feeling of darkness by lifting our voices, by lifting our hearts to God in adoration and praise, and it might 
feel strange, but you come, you and I come from a long tradition of people isolated and alone, lifting their hearts and their minds to God in praise and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would collectively lift our voices to you. I can even hear in, like with the ears of faith, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people all across San Francisco, lifting their voice in their home to God. And I pray that our praise would go up to you like a sweet smelling incense. And as that happens, the truth that we know theologically in our head would make its way down into our heart and you would lift us up for those that feel in the mire, the, the, for those that feel in the, in the pit of darkness, for those that when they got the news that it's going to be four more weeks of this, just completely cracked in despair, lift our souls up lift us up. And for those that are asking, what must I do to be saved? I pray they would trust right now in Jesus Christ and your salvation and your power, even through a silly laptop or TV or whatever, you can save and we trust you to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.